You're listening to Discover Hope with Pastor Tom Leake of Hope Bible Church in Columbia, Maryland. What's the purpose of having a faithful, good, and godly example? Isn't it to learn from the person? Wouldn't you say that? When you think in your own life about people who have been really good, good examples to you, don't you still remember how they lived or how they spoke to you, how they dealt with different circumstances? Doesn't that mean something to you? Doesn't that kind of fortify you and say, you know what, I want to be like that. Straighten up a little bit and it gives you a little bit of courage, gives you a little bit of direction. Good examples. They have a pattern. Hey, did you know we don't only learn from textbooks in schools? Of course you do. We have examples of all the people who have gone before us and how they manage their daily activities, some well and others not so much. This is what Pastor Tom touches on today as we look at how we should live and with the faith that Jesus will return to set up his kingdom. Friends, we've been given a great opportunity to follow in those footsteps that said yes to Jesus, all the way and with a happy heart. Now here's Pastor Tom in the book of James chapter 5 as he continues his message, The Second Coming of Christ Inspires Christian Endurance. We're not to go about grumbling as if we are victims for life. Again, put this exhortation in the context of the Lord's coming, our faith in what he will bring when he comes. It's in the shadow of that time where he's about to come back and he's about to basically give us the inheritance of the entire world. And with that reality about to come upon believers, small things or temporary things bother us and we're about to reign for a thousand years on earth and then beyond into eternity. The grumbling just doesn't make sense in that light, does it? We are triumphant and we're supposed to be those expectant waiters. Christ is coming back. My life has not been completely rewarded. What I'm doing to serve the Lord, I haven't seen all the benefits of it, but it's coming and that's why I keep at it, you see. I smile at the future. I know it's coming. Guy's thrown in jail for Christ and he's in there singing praises. Remember who they were? Paul and Silas. Why? Because they know what's coming. Say, what kind of idiots are these? Don't they know they're in prison and just got flogged? No, they know something you don't know. They know Christ is coming in all of his glory. They get to share in that. So I ask you again, do you moan and grumble against the brethren? Not against the circumstances, understand that, but against the brethren. Maybe you're a leader and you're groaning and grumbling inwardly at other believers. They're hard to shepherd. They're hard to care for. You need to confess that. You need to turn the searchlight on your own heart. And I know I do that with myself. This problem, that problem, not listening, didn't get this thing done. Grumbling starts to come out and it's like, stop that. Just stop it. These are the people of God. Do what you can to serve them. And that's what we as leaders have to do. No, or maybe you're not a leader. Maybe you're grumbling at a leader. Hebrews 13, 17 might be a good thing for you to think on. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with grief, for this would be unprofitable for you. you grumble at leaders. You grumble at leaders and keep doing that, and they start to get weary of what they're doing, and, and then that hurts you because then they don't really want to do it anymore. Some just quietly leave the church rather than reconcile. Their grumbling's been going on so long. There's bitterness of heart. How are you doing? They say, fine. But then all of a sudden, they're making plans to leave the church. Why? They haven't told anybody. You know, that's wrong. In all the 
marking down each time someone didn't do something right in church, this person didn't talk to me right, this person didn't remember this, this person didn't pray for me, this person talked to me wrongly. And all of that, marking down all the times they were not loved, they can't see the hypocrisy of their own selves that they're not loving either. And so they just quietly leave. Because they love? No, because they don't love. Because church is like, who's going to meet their needs, you see? And if they don't, well, I'm done with this cold and selfish church. Except that their heart's colder and more selfish. We just justify this all the time, and it's wrong, brethren, it's wrong. It's so easy to find people in church who are not doing what they should be doing, who show up late, do it last minute, haphazard, who don't care, don't pray, don't remember. It's so easy to find people like that. I mean, we're people, right? We're just average people here, right? We all make mistakes. We're all selfish. We're all more concerned with ourselves than other people. We shouldn't be that way. It's easy to find people like that. If that's going to justify you leaving, then you'll find the same thing in the next church. Because we're not any worse, any better than anywhere else. It's much harder to find people who bear up under suffering, who won't grumble against others even when they think they have the right. If you need incentive not to grumble, we haven't even got to what the passage says about the reason. <laughs> I was kind of like dancing all around it. Here it goes. Notice the next reason. Why should we not grumble? There's an exhortation. It is to avoid judgment. From who? Christ. He's the one standing at the door. The judgment is almost here. The judge is almost here. And so judgment is the negative thing to avoid. Grumbling is something the judge is going to frown on when he arrives. What are you doing grumbling against one another? He's going to say. It's interesting that James began this section with a warning to unbelievers about the coming of the Lord and the judgment he would bring them. Now he warns believers of the judge's coming. Why? Well, here's something new for some of you. If you've been in the church for a while and studied your scripture, you know this, but many people don't know this. God, specifically the Lord Jesus Christ, to whom all judgment has been given to him, according to John 5, God is going to judge all people, including believers. Did you know that? Say, no, I didn't know that. No, it's true. 2 Corinthians 5.10. For we, Paul writes, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. What for? What for? So that each man, each person, may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Romans 14.10. We must all stand before the judgment seat of God. No, the believer's judgment is not an eternal judgment. That's all been taken away in the Lord Jesus Christ. Bless his name in the cross of Christ, right? Every sin has been wiped away, right? We're forgiven our debt to God, and it was big. We're forgiven because of the atoning work of Christ upon the cross. There on the cross, he paid for the sins of believers. Romans 8.1 says there is now no condemnation, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's what we sing about. That's what we glory in, correct? But we still have to have our lives as believers and our service to our master evaluated, that is, judged by Christ when we individually, one by one, come up, stand in the Bama seat throne and give an account for how we lived our lives. I don't know about you. We talk about accountability all the time in the church. That is the greatest accountability. If, 
you don't believe that, that day ought to be in your mind and your conscience more than any other day. If you just had that day when you are going to have to stand individually before God and say, this is why I made this decision. This is how I used my money. This is what I did for the sake of you, Lord. If you understand that day is coming, man, that's all the accountability you will ever need in life, right? You'll get busy. You'll be more zealous. You'll stop the complaining and start the working. That'd be great. It'll be great for you. So this is how we know we're going to be evaluated. I like the Lord Jesus, even in the last book of Revelation, behold, I'm coming quickly and my reward is with me. I like that. My reward is with me. So you haven't got your reward yet. He says he's coming quickly and my reward is with me to render to every man according to what he has done. What are you doing? What are you doing? Stop the grumbling, start the doing, right? Or how about this one, 2 John 8, where he warns the believers, watch yourselves that you do not lose what we have accomplished, but that you may receive a full reward. The judge is standing right at the door. That's the picture. That's the picture of the imminent coming of Christ, his second coming. At the door means he's right there. He's ready to open it. He's ready to come in. We talked about this as in Acts chapter 12 and verse 13. Peter was knocking at the door. Remember, Rhoda, the servant girl, came and said, it's Peter that's there, and they thought it was his ghost. Peter was right there. He's right at the door. Revelation 3.20, behold, I stand at the door and knock. What does that mean? I'm right there. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and I will dine with him and he with me. It's imminency of Christ is the description. How could we grumble knowing we're about to see Christ in all his glory? How can we let the mundane and the trite eclipse the glorious second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ? with his angels in great power, riding the clouds of heaven, returning with that sword from his mouth to slay all of his enemies and to change very nature of the planet itself so that we believers in Christ will populate it, inherit the land. Israel will have its kingdom. The church will have its kingdom. Focus on that second coming of Christ and your work and your suffering today is worth it. Take that out of your daily vision and slowly you start to grumble and why is it worthwhile? Why am I doing these things in church? Why am I putting up with these people? Why, why, why? And you won't know until you get that vision of Christ on his white horse returning in victory and then you realize that's why I'm a Christian. That's why I serve. That's why I'm doing this. You see, it's wonderful. Man, it's so important it's so important to have the focus on the second coming in the Christian life if you want to be strong. It's how you gain that fortitude that we talked about last week and the grumbling ceases. All right, so that's your second strategy, your second strategy for dealing with oppression in the present. Here's the third. Follow the godly examples of perseverance in the past. Follow the godly examples of perseverance in the past, verses 10 and 11. As an example, brethren, of suffering and patience, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. We count those blessed who endured. You have heard of the endurance of Job and have seen the outcome of the Lord's dealings that the Lord is full of compassion and is merciful. So what's James doing here? He's reverting back to the persecution and the ill treatment by those who are in power, especially the rich. It's a third strategy for dealing with oppression. What is it? Look to the godly examples. People have gone before you. People have already dealt with difficult things like you're dealing with. Look to their example. It's important. What's the purpose of having 
a faithful, good, and godly example. Isn't it to learn from the person? Wouldn't you say that? When you think in your own life about people who have been really good, good examples to you. Don't you still remember how they lived or how they spoke to you, how they dealt with different circumstances? Doesn't that mean something to you? Doesn't that kind of fortify you and say, you know what, I want to be like that, straighten up a little bit, and it gives you a little bit of courage, gives you a little bit of direction, good examples. They have a pattern. That term example, hupa degma, just means that, someone to learn from and follow. The term was used of the Lord Jesus Christ. He used it of himself in John 13. He said, I gave you an example that you should do as I have done to you. There's bad examples also. In 2 Peter, it talks about Sodom and Gomorrah. When you hear Sodom and Gomorrah, you don't think of a good example, do you? They were reduced to ashes, God having made them an example to those who would live ungodly lives hereafter. Why should I not live an ungodly, sexually immoral, homosexual lifestyle? And the answer is because God already burned five cities to a crisp because of that behavior. That's it. You don't need to know anything else. There's the example. So examples work either way. You see someone live an ungodly example, and you see their life get destroyed in some way, sometimes through natural processes, sometimes through supernatural judgment. Then you see people live a godly example. And at first, by the way, a lot of godly examples don't seem all that great. I mean, you're looking at some godly examples. You're like, they're not like those flamboyant people on television, the singers and the dancers, and you're sitting around saying, I want to be like them. No, you don't, because all you're doing is seeing them on stage. All you're doing is seeing them when the camera's on them. What about the fact that, you know, at the bottom of the print, you know, so-and-so got divorced after three and a half weeks of marriage, you know? Or so-and-so committed suicide, or they were overdosed. Why are they overdosed? Because they've been on illegal drugs for the last five years. Why? Because their life really was the pits. You don't want to be like them. You've got to show some discernment. You're looking at all these rich and glitzy people, and you think, like, that's how I want. And then the godly go around. They don't look all that impressive, you know? You know, they're, they're not dressed all that well. They don't, you know, they don't dance all that well. And you're like, who wants to be like them? You do, if you were wise. Because you have to look at what God is going to do with their life, where they're going. They've, they've counted the cost. They know where the real reward is. They don't want the temporary stuff. It goes away. It doesn't satisfy. They see through all of that. But now they're living an example that's not all that flashy. But it's well worth imitating. It's well worth imitating. We need godly examples. See, we hear the Word of God, and it goes in. Yes, we have the Spirit of God. He gives us illumination. The Scriptures are clear. We believe in the perspicuity of Scripture. That's fine. Nothing unclear about it. But then it comes into our, our heads, and we're trying to think about now, what do I do here? How do I handle this? And we still don't get it. And then when you look at someone, and they do it right in front of you, you're like, ah, oh, there it is. Just like they said, a picture's worth what? A thousand words. I get it. That's how I'm supposed to live. Oh, my, I'm not living that way. I think I need to go back and I need to think about that. Examples of people who give even when they don't have a lot. They have a mortgage to pay and they still come into church and they give. Why aren't you? Examples of people who encourage others. They're going through trials and then what comes out of their mouth is encouraging. Why aren't you doing that? And that's what you ask with an example. You look at them and you're like, well, they're going through trouble. Look at them praising the Lord. Okay. All right, there goes my excuses, because I thought I had a whole list of excuses why I'm angry at God, and they just went out the window. They're just gone. You look at someone who's merciful around the sick, and you're like, I wish I was more like that. I wish I had more compassion like that. You see someone who arrives early in church, and they're serving, and no one notices them that. They don't get a plaque to take home, and there they are week after week after week. Why am I not like that? You see? 
You hear about someone praying, oh, I'm going to write that on my prayer list. Do you have a prayer list? Yeah, i got a long list. And I pray every single morning. I pray for this person. I pray for that. And you're like, you know what? I just cut my prayer time short all the time. Why aren't you like them? They're an example. Well, we have an example here. But this time, James was searching for an example that would be more like for suffering. How do they handle suffering? How do they handle oppression? What kind of an example there? And he says, we need people who are patient in that situation. Patient really here means endurance. And so he says, now you want a good example. You want a good example of people who suffered under oppression from the unrighteous, and they did what they were supposed to do, and they're really, their life is worth imitating, then I've got, I've got some really good examples to give to you. And James writes, I want you to think about the prophets. The prophets. See, now, I said all of that because I know that some of you don't wake up in the morning saying, I want to be like the prophets. <laughs> but you should. You should. They should be your heroes. They're the heroes of the faith, the prophets. They should be the ones you want to live like. Why? Because of what they went through and what happened to them when they came out the other side. You see someone go into a dark cave, you want to know what? How do you get out? So life has dark caves, and you want to know, how do we get through this? How do we get out? Prophets' lives tell you. They're the example. They endured unrighteous suffering well with great patience. Those are the two things that go together. Suffering, patience. Suffering through the pain, through the loss, through the misery, through the mistreatment. And still, they are patiently strong, enduring. What an example. You'll learn through life, if you haven't already, that those kinds of examples are the best. People can be giddy and happy, but those who face the toughest things in life and their faith goes through like that, they're the ones I want to look at and say, That's, that is who I want to be like. It's my hero. Kind of patience that has the ability not to retaliate against foolish people. And they are foolish. We're not supposed to act like they're not foolish. They're acting foolishly. We know that. They don't have wisdom. And their lack of wisdom is hurting good people. And it's going to hurt them more. They think they're doing right. They're doing wrong. They don't understand truth. They don't even understand love. They do it in the name of love. They don't even understand love. And we're going to suffer because of that. But we're not going to retaliate. We're going to wait until the Lord comes because his retaliation will be far greater than anything we would do anyways. His execution of justice will be even-handed. So we need to watch these examples. Really, there's two examples. The first one is the prophets. Let's take a look at the prophets. Let's think about them. He doesn't name which prophets. He just says the prophets. But we can take this as a general truth, that if a man was a prophet, and here he's probably mostly talking about the Old Testament prophets, but New Testament prophets as well, if a man was a prophet, he was doing what? He was speaking the Word of God. Often he's predicting the future, but he's speaking the Word of God. And as he proclaimed the Word of God, people didn't like that because some of those messages from God had to be against those that were proud and those that were lofty and those that were in power, and those messages came against them. On Wednesday nights, we're learning from the book of Revelation about John the Apostle who had to endure exile, it says, because of the Word of God and the testimony of Jesus. He was an apostle. He was also a prophet. He was exiled to Patmos, a small island in the Mediterranean, and probably forced to work hard there in his old age. 
What was his offense against Rome, speaking the gospel of Jesus? Why would anyone be exiled for that? He's one prophet who suffered. Here the prophets are said to have spoken in the name of the Lord. So what does that mean? As they spoke in the name of the Lord, their message was not liked. The people did not think that that was a very positive message. By the way, that's what everybody says today, right? That's why churches are saying less and less and less about the judgment of God, right, against sin, and more and more and more about how happy you can be and live an abundant and rich life now because people want to hear that, and they pay money to hear that, and they support churches that do that. But here, the true prophets of God speak the hard truths as well as the encouraging truths, and people don't like that. And as they spoke in the name of the Lord, they were persecuted. They suffered. Well, we're trying to preach the Word of God too here, right? And if we keep doing that, we're going to run into problems. And you're going to be tested as to whether or not you just like hearing sermons or whether or not you really support the Word of God. We do that. We preach the full Word of God, the whole counsel of God, as it says in Scripture. We've resolved not to keep our mouths quiet. We've resolved to keep preaching the truth of God. And your witness and your support out there in the world and in here is very important. You have to take a stand with the Word of God, just as the prophets took a stand for the Word of God. You sit there and think that you won't be in any trouble. It's only the person standing here that's going to be in trouble, but you support this, right? You come in and you support this. You pray for this. You give money for this. You, you spread the Word for this. You get involved in ministries to make sure the Word of God is spread. This is part of you as well. We've determined we will not keep our mouths quiet, and because of that, we're going to suffer. But don't feel sorry for those who suffer for the Word of God. If you're beginning to feel sorry for yourself, don't feel sorry. Notice next what it says. We count those, what? Blessed who endured. Blessed, not a slap-happy kind of thing. That's too weak of a translation, happy. More of a well-being is the idea. We count those to have wholeness and soundness and blessed of the Lord who endured. We're going to be taken care of by God. That's why we're blessed. We're going to inherit greatness. That's why we're blessed. James has in mind what he wrote earlier back in chapter 1, verse 12. If you want to take a quick look at that in chapter 1. It's a long time ago we went over there, but this verse kind of ties with the one we had back there. Verse 12 of chapter 1, Blessed is a man who perseveres under trial. That was really a whole life of trials he's talking about there. For once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. That's blessing. Blessed are those who endure trial. Enduring means what? Enduring means you don't just sit there and you live. You don't just sit there like a bump on a log. You sit there and you don't change the message. You don't quiet down. You don't retreat. You keep speaking truth at work, in society, in church, everywhere. You do it wisely, but you do it. And as you do, you continue to believe in the Lord's vindication when He comes. Like those apostles in Acts chapter 5 who were called into the Sanhedrin's office and they were told not to speak anymore in the name of the Lord Jesus in Jerusalem. It was bothering the leaders and they said, we have to obey God and not men. And so... They were going to be killed, but then at, at the advice of one of them, they were flogged. And as they were flogged, when they left, the apostles weren't saying, woe is me, we're suffering so hard for Jesus, look at us. They actually, it says, they were rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer for the name of Christ. Carthur writes, God's blessing does not come to people who do great things, but to people who endure. 
Those who will receive the greatest blessing in the life to come are those who have endured the greatest suffering in the present world." End quote. The prophets of God were upheld in faith by God. God's grace came to them when they suffered. I take some comfort in knowing I am not the only one who went through experiences like mine. The Bible is full of examples of people who were able to handle a variety of different situations in a way that was pleasing to God. Pastor Tom talked today about this third system that helps us walk through our daily ups and downs because we can see what worked and what didn't. With sad yet hope-filled hearts, we want to let you know that Pastor Tom Leake, the voice you've been listening to today, has gone home to be with Jesus. Pastor Tom served the Lord faithfully here on earth for 24 years, pastoring thousands and helping to create a network of like-minded churches in the Mid-Atlantic region. He shared the gospel unashamedly, shining light into this dark world. Pastor Tom will be missed, but we rejoice that he is healed and with his Savior. If you would like to learn more about Pastor Tom and his legacy, visit hopebible.org. Now, here's a preview of the next edition of Discover Hope. There were men in the Bible called prophets who gave us a pattern to copy, an example of their faith of what would be simply because that's what Jesus told them. Of course, they ran into all kinds of opposition, and even though treated poorly, they showed no retaliation. Learn more when you tune in next time with Pastor Tom. Now it's critical to put God first in your life, following the example of these prophets who has foretold of God returning. Thanks for tuning in today for Discover Hope. If you'd like to hear more teachings from Pastor Tom, visit HopeBibleChurch.org. There's much more to learn from the book of James, so we hope you'll join us again right here on Discover Hope.